Welcome to our kind of podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Boyd, joined as always by Sometimes I Dream That He Is Me. You've got to see that's how I dream to be. I dream I move. I dream I groove. Like Mike, aka Michael Stanton. Mike, wow. how did how did you like that? It was the first musical rendition, I think, on OKP history. Yeah. I can tell beautiful. you're uncomfortable. You're, you're you're sweating already. I I uncomfortable wouldn't be the term I put because you know like I'm sure there's many other more uncomfortable moments that I've had with you in my life just mm. the awkward you know high school yeah, phase thinking like 30 but, uh, yeah yeah but no I'm just I'm just very uh honored that you would break out in song to introduce me that is certainly a new one yeah the uh the like Mike song hit airwaves a lot more uh this weekend or this past week after the Huskies beat the Washington State Cougars in the Apple Cup because uh University of Washington is putting on a full-on campaign to get their boy into uh, the Heisman Trophy ceremony. I think at this point, winning it is off the table. We'll talk a little bit more about that at what case he has. Uh, but it's kind of cool. And uh, copywriting the Like Mike song along the way, if they're willing to absorb the legal hit for that, then hell yeah. <laughs> well, well done, yeah. Jen Cohen. Clearly there's money yeah. going around because uh, 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 Kaylin DeVore's got an extension. Ryan Grubb got a secret extension even before that. And they're yep. they're absorbing all the copyright, so life is good on the football side, at least for UW athletic department. One of the better weeks for Husky football in quite a while. Um, not only did the Apple Cup, you know, the Apple Cup win, the Kalen DeBoer extension, which I guess happened technically like yeah, last, part of the week, prior yeah. to the Apple Cup, but the Ryan Grubb news that he was secretly extended in early November, which came out a few days ago. Uh, Oregon losing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Oregon losing their offensive coordinator. Uh, just just a lot of great things happening in the in the college football world as it pertains to the Huskies. Yes, definitely. There's there's some more in there too. I mean, Mike Penix talking about maybe coming back for next season. Sure. Uh, same with Jalen McMillan and Roman Dunze. Like the, this is this is getting a little weird. How how much good yeah. news there is. Uh, and then the college football playoff had to uh, to shit on that yeah. yesterday. But we'll talk about that very shortly. I do want to talk about the the velvet rope situation after the the Apple Cup. Yes. Um, this was objectively one of the funniest things I've ever seen. They put like six middle aged just stadium employees defending the Washington state logo <laughs> so that the Huskies wouldn't party on it um, and had a velvet rope around them. Well, I mean, the, like how terrified do you think those employees were when they heard, Hey, your job is to defend <laughs> the honor of the university from, <laughs> from cold drunken Husky fans after the apple cup. You, you know, the, I actually saw a photo. There was multiple police officers within that rope oh really um it the, was the a last from, line was of defense a, yeah it was a photo from the press box down onto <laughs> the, the field so i think that's even worse like you are obviously you went one step in getting the security guards with a rope but also you had police officers instead of actually you know doing things that are important you uh kept us off of their logo, which I kind of equated to like going up to somebody in a fight and like punching them and just running away. Yeah. Like it's just the softest thing ever. And obviously the context of this is they, when they beat us at Husky stadium last season, they planted a Jane Delora planted a cougar flag on the UW logo at the center of the field um, to just Violently. like be ready for it and not allow it to happen. And frankly, I don't even know if it was going to happen. Like 
it might have, but Roma Dunze did say afterwards in the, in the post game, like, oh, we don't we don't need to stoop to that level yeah. or something along those lines. So maybe it wouldn't have happened. And frankly, that would have been awesome if we didn't do anything because it's just showing that we're you know the better team in multiple ways, both on the field and just as kind of like you know just being gracious in victory. Uh, but yeah, that was that was incredibly poor. One of the softest, weakest things I've I've seen in college football in quite some time. When do you think the memo came down from on high to to defend defend the Cougar? Was that after... probably like the day after last season's Apple Cup? <laughs> Something super it, super. It, just... It's either, it's either that or the moment like Cam Ward had the wrong hand on the two point conversion. They're like, oh fuck, yeah, we're not, not going to win this game. Uh, <laughs> that yeah. was also poor, very poor. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what else must have had a velvet rope around them on Saturday was Michael Penix Jr. because those Cougars did not touch him the entire yep. game, and there are a whole host of teams who have not touched him the entire game because he is just. He hasn't gotten sacked. Like the Huskies were second in the country in in sack percentage, and uh, they just did whatever they wanted. And we'll get deep into the Apple Cup. We'll explain what happened to that game. Uh, we'll talk about the uh, kind of um, tectonic things happening in college football around uh, the Huskies and the playoff and all of those things. Um, but uh, I think that's a per- per- perfect place to go into as we talk about the playoff because uh, yesterday, college football playoff committee. Boo Corrigan and Co and Co. Like the the names of these guys Ooh, are just Corey. they just make up names. Like these are just the most random like you know NPCs in a video game to come up and explain themselves yeah. about the the college football playoff rankings. And they decided to bring up some old shit and talked about how Arizona State the Huskies lost to Arizona State a month and a half ago is uh, was was alarming to the committee and that's why Utah jumped them um in in the most recent ranking so this is a good time because i think we're just going to get our great cat out of the way early here stan i'm just yep. gonna let you uh i'm gonna i'm gonna take off the, the red cape and just i have it going and there's i'm yeah. staring at a, a deranged bull with red eyes ready to i'm treading attack. in the dirt right now ready to charge you hell um, yeah yeah so last week UW was ranked 13th and utah was ranked 14th and then last weekend happened where utah beat one and eleven Colorado, and we beat seven and five WSU, and somehow that ju- that merited Utah jumping three spots and UW only going up one spot. So Utah's ahead of us in the rankings. Um, it makes zero sense because, like, I I guess my my issue, my biggest issue here is all I ask is these rankings to be consistent, and be, you know, so we can figure out like, okay, if this happens and this is going to happen, but this is just randomness. Like, yeah, you you can't justify like the only justification I've heard that I think is not a worthy justification is Oregon losing softens the uh, strength of win we have over the Ducks, and then conversely. USC beating Notre Dame strengthens the win that Utah has over USC. I don't think that makes a big enough difference. To and the problem with this. that is that Utah just lost to Oregon two weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. So it kind of like negates itself. Um, I do understand that the Arizona State loss is a bad loss. We'll talk about it here in, in momentarily. But again, it's you said it, this happened a month and a half ago. If it really was that bad of a loss, then we should have been behind Utah last year. The entire week. time, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's stupid. I think the the rankings at large were 
um, had a lot of issues with them. A lot of people were annoyed with them. The good news about this is once the games happen this coming weekend, it all should be sorted out unless the committee feels as though they want to go a step further in egregious uh, decisions. I won't even go down that path, but what I'm saying is if Utah loses, we should be ahead of them in next week's rankings. If Utah wins, we will be behind them and justifiably so. They will deserve to be ahead of the Huskies if they beat USC again, in my opinion. So um, I think it'll all turn out as it should at the end of the day. The problem is with these rankings is that they function less as rankings and more as uh, like news items and more as producers on a reality television show. Like a producer would, you know, plant a condom in somebody's pocket and like, you know, make make a story out of that and turn it into something that that creates drama on television. And that is what's happening here. There there's drama. Yep. People are pissed. We're talking about it right now. That's the, the they they win. They win yeah. because they they did something that caused that confusion that creates intrigue ahead of uh the the championship game on Friday and it's it's just so dumb. And I remember back in when we were kids, the the BCS formula it was a formula. It was all computers. There was the or like there's the computer yeah. component of it that people hated. Might as well just have the computers do it because if we leave yeah. it to people, it will end up in situations like this where they are just fucking with everything all the time and and making nonsense arguments. Yeah. No, I I honestly I like that. I mean, I'm not saying I want the BCS formula necessarily and I can't remember the specifics of that to yeah. even go into it, but I would not mind having some formulaic way of determining this simply because you take out biases that certainly impact uh, the rankings, especially when you take into account that uh, there are multiple representatives on this committee that are actually employees at schools that are in these rankings. Right. Like, I'm pretty sure... Um, I'm, I'm forgetting who exactly is on the committee, but I know there are a few people that are on the committee currently, uh, associated with teams that had questionable rankings this week. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just, it's annoying. This issue is going to persist even when you go to a 12 team playoff, because you're going to have the whole, you know, what was the question of who should be fourth is now going to be the question of who should be 12. We'll like lie. if this had happened, um, if this had happened, um, in like a 12 team playoff. And this was the final rankings. We would be left out because as a 12th ranked team, you still need a spot for the group of five team. So Tulane would get that final spot. And we actually would be the first team out of the 12 team playoff right now. And Utah would be in. So that's the issue yeah. with, with making rankings not make sense like this. Right. And, and like you said, we have the opportunity to just have the Utah USC game on, on Friday, settle things, hopefully, but yes, there's hopefully. also the, like, we don't know that <laughs> if Utah loses yeah. by three on a last second field goal, what is stopping the committee from saying, yeah, I mean that Arizona state game and, you know, uh, Utah played a very good USC team. And it's just like, they can just make up whatever they want and and, yeah. and make it happen. And, and, you know, uh, that's, and that'll that's, be the difference between a Rose bowl birth yeah. if, in that scenario. Exactly. Which is, so, would be appalling. If that now we are case. hoping we have to hope for USC to kind of run away with it, at least win by a touchdown, I think against Utah yeah. to, to create some distance, but we'll get into that a little bit and settle down as we talk about, 
a glorious Apple Cup victory. And I believe it was the 114th edition of this. The Huskies won 51 to 33. Um, I'll give kind of a rundown on, on the game and then you'll get into the uh, the digits and uh, some, some of the gaudy numbers from the game. The, uh, the early portion of this game, I, I uh, got the text from my dad that uh, Penix looked off and I agreed. It was, it was, yep. he was off target. He was missing throws uh, basically in every uh, chunk of the field. I mean, short, medium and, and uh, deep throws. I think on that first drive, Duskies missed on all of those. And uh, Cam Ward was doing the scrambling BS, you know, just the, the, the Cam Ward experience was, uh, was often rolling and working for for Wazoo. It was turning into big plays. Um, he had a rushing touchdown off of a scramble. He had a rushing uh, receiving touchdown off of a scramble. I believe those for the first two scores. Uh, but then uh, I think the Husky offense hit a groove after the uh, the throw to Jalen Polk for the touchdown, the first touchdown, which again was off. Like Jalen Polk had to go get that, and then he brings it in and then runs it for a touchdown. And after that the Huskies scored touchdowns on six of their next nine drives of those three that they didn't score touchdowns on. Uh, two of those went into the, the red zone. Um, and one of them was a field goal. And one of them was the interception that, that, that Penix ended up throwing. And the other, it looked like UW was well on their way to scoring before that Cam Davis fumble. So they were doing whatever they wanted, moving the ball on offense. Um, and then Wazoo's offense was you know, kind of keeping, uh, keeping it close, more of the Cam Ward bullshit. Uh, Huskies couldn't tackle. Uh, but then two things happened for the Huskies. They got to Cam Ward, ended up getting six sacks on him, putting him behind the sticks. And and then those short throws for five and six yards aren't doing as much for Wazoo. And he couldn't pick the right hand to keep the ball in on the two point conversion. And that was seemingly the play where it just seemed, that was the, the official end of Wazoo scoring. That's 35, 33 in the third quarter. And to close out the game, UW marched down to the 11-yard line before that that interception from Michael Penix. This is after that that two-point conversion with with Cam Ward that he blew. And then Wazoo's next 25 plays. So like this is like oh shit, like you know this might be a a shootout here. Wazoo's next 25 plays, 99 total yards. And that was when the Huskies were kind of uh, rounding into form on both sides, and kind of the Wazoo offense regressed to the mean. Wazoo goes three and out, and then UW gets a touchdown, field goal, and then that Wayne Talapapa touchdown, uh, 40 yarder to close it out, 51 33. Let's go. That's the game. Um, I think uh, Halen DeBoer, after the game, kind of described it as like their offense, they were pulling out everything. The fake punt, like Cam Ward, again, having to do like move mountains just to to make things happen because he was under so much pressure. And like that is not a sustainable formula for, for no. offense. Meanwhile, the Husky offense was getting like literally 10, 10 and a half yards of play. Any, anytime they did anything, they, they were popping off. And uh, that was kind of the difference in the game is like, yeah, it was, it was high scoring, but one offense was like real. And the other one was, you know, uh, having to do a lot just to, to move the ball. Yeah. You mentioned that the Cougs had to move mountains, especially in that first half, just to stay within the game, you know, it was 28, 27 at halftime. The Cougs went four for four on fourth down yeah. in the first half. Their their uh, first three touchdown drives included a fourth and one conversion, a fourth and on their own 34, by the way, a yep. fourth and two conversion as Call well. That a Dan Lenning special is what that is. Yes. Yes. Correct. Uh, a fourth and two as well to score their first touchdown. Their second drive, they had a fourth and 10 on our 34, and they ended up throwing a 34 yard touchdown. Hey, good for them. But still, you know, you're having to go four downs in order yeah. to score a touchdown there. Then the following drive, 
they had a fourth and seven on our 34 again that they completed for 14 yards for a first down and they ended up scoring there. Um, meanwhile, in the first quarter or first half, we had uh, after punting on the first. So you mentioned that panic slicked off. We still scored touchdowns on four of our first five or four yeah. of our five uh, first half possessions. We punted on our first drive. But then after that, four plays, 44 yards, seven plays, 79 yards, four plays, 75 yards, eight plays, 83 yards. We were just moving the ball. And, and all those were um, uh, like three minutes or less as far as time of possession goes. So we were moving the ball at a very efficient clip, whereas the Cougars were, you know, it was taking everything for them to stay in that game. And that's why in the second half, when we were able to stop them, um, they ended up going punt, touchdown, punt, punt, downs. Um, this doesn't even have a, I don't, this doesn't even have, I'm on the no. ESPN play chart. It just doesn't have a result on their final drive. <laughs> I don't know what happened there. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, yeah, we certainly that? bottled them up in the second half and, um, they were over two on fourth down in the second half. So, um, yeah, it was, we, we also held them to 131 yards in the second half, whereas we conceded 300 and. I think, I don't know, roughly 300 yards to them in the first half. So tail of two different halves, we pulled away from it. Uh, and frankly, we could have scored more than 51. We had an Easily. interception in the end zone, uh, in their end zone from, we were on their five yard line, um, for instance. So it could have been a lot more. That is the one play that's been borne out this season. That's like, it just doesn't work is in the red zone, Penix scrambling, trying to find yeah, some, rolling like out. It's having it's, putting it the field in half, work. basically. Yeah, yeah. It it that, that was the Oregon pick. That was that pick rolling out to the opposite side on this one. Um, yeah. le left in the Wazoo game, right in that one. And I was even rewatching that Arizona State game, and like they, that's what they tried to do. They try and get it to like right at the goal line, hit a Dunze like in the hands, and it's just it just isn't working. And uh, hopefully yeah. they see the same thing that we've seen um, over and over with that. But overall, yeah. I think this this was. Um, given what we already know about this Husky defense and like, this is just what they do. They struggle with tackling. They, you know, are very thin in the secondary, uh, despite what was described as an outstanding junior season for Mesa Turner on the broadcast. That was like, yeah. okay, you have not watched a lot of, <laughs> of tape, but that's okay. Um, you know, this is just what it is. So I think that type of result, um, it, this was the best the Husky offense has looked all season, I think, yeah. in terms of, of their ability to move and considering that this was a defense that we talked about, a Wazoo defense that was like, it's either them or Oregon State that's the best defense in the conference, and uh, the Huskies totally shredded them. Yeah, and and that would that would make sense uh, if we move into the numbers part of this. It uh, that would make sense that uh, you say this has been the best that we've looked on offense all season because we had 703 total yards, which is the third most for a single game in program history. The other two being 704 versus Cal in 2016 and 734 versus San Jose State in 1996. That's, so, the, Corey, uh, yeah, that's the Corey Dillon game, I believe, where he ran for okay. like 300 yards in the first half. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, 485 through the air. Um, for Penix, which was um, surprisingly, amazingly, the second most. We actually, he actually had over 500, he had 516 against Arizona uh, previously this season, uh, which actually is a single game, was a single game passing record for um, the Huskies. Uh, 516 versus Arizona, 45 versus WSU. Previous to the season, the record was 455 against Arizona in 2001 by none other than Cody Pickett. 
But uh, yeah, this they could not stop us on offense. We averaged nine yards per carry, 11 and change uh, per pass. I mean, 11 for 13 on third down. Remember, 40% completion on third down is, uh, or conversion on third down is considered kind of good, average to good. Um, we only punted the ball once. That happened seven minutes into the game, as I mentioned previously. Both of our turnovers were in WSU territory. Um, it just overall was a great game for the offensive side of the ball. Defense side of the ball, a lot of places to improve. We talked about this at length, so it's nothing new. But the beauty is this offense is just so good that they keep you in every game as a result yeah. of it. Yeah, and and against, a, like I said, a very statistically and had borne out against, uh, you know, many teams, good good Wazoo defense. Like they gave up a bunch of points to Oregon, um, but that was about it. And they had shut everyone else down and kept that game pretty close. And uh, it, it didn't matter with, with this game. So, so just some general thoughts on top of what we've already talked about here with this game. Um, Jalen and Rome, they did it. We we called it that this could happen, um, that these guys could surpass a thousand yards each. They both did it um, in, in pretty easy fashion and, and could have been much worse. I think uh, Jalen McMillan, I think, did it on the 75 yard touchdown that officially put him over. That was the first play of the third quarter. The running game just gashing people these last two games seven and a half yards per carry against Colorado and Wazoo um that's like kind of been the only bugaboo with this Husky team is their ability to run the ball um at an elite level at least uh in, in throughout the season and they've been able to do that uh the defense still bad and can we get a turnover like <laughs> this I've never seen a defense that's forced this much pressure that cannot force an interception or a strip sack or anything like the 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 turnover rate um I don't have it on in front of me but uh, just not it's it's crazy how little this husky team has been able to turn the ball over and that's that's been a staple i think of, of this podcast complaining about those chris peterson defenses is they were great but they had struggles since forced turnovers but those defenses couldn't force pressure like this one can so it's it's uh it's a bit odd yeah we have four fumbles recovered and seven interceptions on the season uh the leader being Mikel Esteen with two picks that I think he might have had in the same game. I could yeah. be getting that wrong, but not in the same game, but both garbage, garbage time. Early, yeah. Let's see here. Not that it matters, but uh, he had a pick against Colorado and a pick against Kent State. Um, in those games, he had one tackle each. So, you know, go figure that the, our leader, Asa Turner, also has uh, two picks, but our I think those both came the Arizona State game or the the Kent State game uh let's see here All right there they won in, uh yes he had two in the kent state game <laughs> and that was it <laughs> yeah so so like four of our seven picks happened in non-consequential yes or colorado games yeah <laughs> yeah it's uh i will say just kind of taking a step <clears throat> excuse me a step back um after going what was it four and oh to start the season uh mm -hmm. and then losing two to go to four and two we kind of thought that this was like okay here we go like there was the easy somewhat easy i guess it was easy when you think about michigan state um what they are now easy first you know four games of season you know here we go we're gonna regress to the mean and after those two losses they've just ripped off six straight wins two of which were against good teams in oregon and oregon state one of which was at oregon which no one's won there for like three or four years. So, um, yeah, this, we are peaking at probably the best possible time. And, um, 
I would think this is something that the committee, the playoff committee would consider. They have talked about how, you know, early season losses don't matter as much as late season losses. So uh, the fact that we are haven't lost since, I don't know what, what that was, early October or something like that. I feel like that would be something they take into account, but clearly they don't think they are because they have yeah. Utah in front of us and they lost two weeks ago. Yeah, so. the rules change every single week and we'll, we'll yes. get it. We'll get it after this one of like there will be um, uh, penalties to teams who lose in conference championship games this week, like potentially Utah, but then also um, an, an advantage to not playing in this game if in a conference championship, but they also want teams that win conference championships, but you know, it's, 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 it's a snake eat chasing its tail on that. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons that uh, the Huskies would be appealing to uh, a new year six bowl and whether it's the Rose bowl or cotton bowl or whatever, is because the man who takes the snaps, Michael Penix jr. Has been absolutely outstanding. Um, so outstanding that he got me to sing at the top of this podcast. You can go back and listen to that again. If you uh, would like it, I was actually kind of proud of the way it came out, even though I wanted to be over basically as soon as I started saying it, but anyways, uh, yeah, Michael Penix has been incredible. Leads the nation in passing. There is a lot more that goes into that, into his case for getting the invite to New York and uh, to be a part of the Heisman ceremony, which would be very cool. And so you are going to do that and give us the case for him being there. I, I think this is Caleb Williams' award to lose at this point, but what do you got for why Mike P is is uh, off to New York? Yeah, I, I mean, I think he should be there. Do I think he will? No. Um, I don't think he will be invited. And I think a lot of that has to do with just the biases that surround the national media in college football. Um, you know, the, the Caleb Williams seems to be the runaway winner of this award right now, which I think is, is fair to an extent, but when you actually kind of look at all these statistics that these teams or these, these other quarterbacks have put up, it's like, they're all very similar to what Michael Penix has put up. I mean, Penix is um, leads the country in passing yards, both in total 4,354 and per game 362.8. He's also number two nationally in total offense per game um, only behind Drake may of UNC. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but as a quarterback, I'm pretty sure passing and total offense is kind of the most important thing you can do. Um, yeah, the one and, knock and, and on Penix. To, total offense is like, you know, the, that's what everyone would say about Caleb Williams or Max Duggan or, um, you know, any of those quarterbacks that that might have a case is like, oh, you know, they're more of a running threat. Put all, yeah. add them up, add up all the, yeah. all, all the yards you want. And it's still Mike P that's there. Yeah, exactly. Um, there, the, the one kind of big knock on Penix in this discussion is the fact that he is lacking comparatively speaking in touchdowns um he's five to eight ish touchdowns uh, passing touchdowns less than the other candidates which i'm counting as max duggan of tcu cj Stroud of ohio state drake may of unc and caleb williams of usc he Penix also has a few more interceptions than these players too but you know like for instance uh, Max Duggan was this clear-cut number two choice on this week's uh, Heisman straw poll on the Athletic. If you compare his statistics to Michael Penix Jr., he they have an, exactly the same completion percentage of sixty-six percent. Um, they have they both have twenty-nine touchdowns passed. Michael Penix Jr. has four more interceptions, so that's a knock. But the big differentiator is yards. 
Penix has over 1,300 more yards passing than Max Duggan. That's like Penix has thrown for 4,300 and change. And when you're when you've thrown 1,300 yards less, like that's a massive amount. That's like three or four games worth of yards. So I I just don't know how you can justify Max Duggan and. The reason why, and again, I don't agree with this at all. The reason why he's there is because TCU is 12 and 0. Um, and last time I checked, you don't get the Heisman Award because you shouldn't get the Heisman Award because of what your record is, but that's kind of what it's become, unfortunately. Yeah, I think I think Manzel and Robert Griffin are the only guys who have won a Heisman. This is totally off the top of my head, with their team having more than one loss in the last mm-hmm decade or so i probably like 15 years i guess that we're that yeah. old that those guys are, are within that so yeah i mean that's that's a part of this as well and just, i mean you know stories man like uh, michael Penix's story is actually incredible i mean for for him yeah. to have the injury history that he does and to transfer to across the country to a random program just to be reunited with his coach and for things to, to have gone as well as they have he's finally healthy finally able to show what he does um, I think he's incredibly compelling. He's like, it's insanely humble and likable. And they tried to do that with the conference call that they had with national media this week for people to kind of get, get to see that it's almost like humble to a fault of like, you don't take any credit for what you've got going on right now. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I would hope that he gets the invite. Um, it's kind of odd because they, they send five people there. Right. And in 2016, when the Huskies went to the, uh, the peach bowl and lost Alabama in the college football playoff, Jake Browning was sixth in, in terms of the Heisman, Heisman voting. He finished sixth in that year. Um, so he's right off the cuff of, of uh, making it. The, the five guys in front of him, Lamar Jackson, who won it, Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield, Dee Dee Westbrook, uh, the Oklahoma receiver, and then Jabril Peppers of Michigan, um, which how the hell did he did he make it? Just the, yeah. the, the defensive guy. But, um, but anyways, I mean, doesn't it feel like as good as Jake Browning was that year that the impact – like Mike Penix's singular impact this year feels astronomically more than, than what Jake Browning did in that year. Am I, am I, am I crazy to say that? Oh no, not at all. Like it for sure is the case. Yeah. Jake Browning was great, but he had some really, really good players around him too. Not that we don't currently, but I think he had more players at its disposal uh, in 2016. I mean, like miles Gaskin, we don't have a miles Gaskin sitting there in the backfield right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and to you know, uh, I think in both cases you're gonna have two early, early or highly drafted uh, receivers to throw to. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's just so odd. And I also don't remember in 2016 that the Huskies mount or the athletic department, I should say, mounted a campaign for Browning or John Ross or Miles Gaskin that year in a way that they probably could have. Um, obviously, a different mm-hmm. landscape in college footballs. You know, even six years uh, from from then is a lot different place in terms of just uh, media and consumption and things like that. Uh, but it is odd. And yeah, I, I hope that he gets the invite. The, the like Mike um, thing is important. And I, th- and I think it's just a good sign that this athletic department is, is cognizant of um, the, what it, what it takes to show that, you know, the program is there and, and they understand that if they get Mike Penix to uh, New York and people tune in to watch the Heisman, they see the highlights of that. They learn UW is good. That that has, you know, that, that UW's offense is that good, that, you know, they hear Kalen DeBoer's name, all of those things have value. And that's that's program placement and uh, an important thing. 
and the, the, the Penix Heisman race, like he, we were, we were talking about the H word after the Michigan state game. Like we, we, we brought that up as like, there's some state, some steam here. And then they lost those next two games. And then it all went away until somewhat recently when he basically the Oregon game, when he shut shit down and had the best game of, of, uh, of the season or like the most important game of the season. So it's been a fun ride and I hope it ends up there, but um, I think I'm with you that I wouldn't get my hopes up. No, I mean, the national media as it pertains to college football is a joke in my opinion. Um, I thought that for, I've thought that for a while now. Um, So I'm, I'm, I'm never expecting uh, someone to be, you know, from the Huskies to get that type of recognition. Um, I know it's it's kind of doesn't make sense saying East Coast bias because Caleb Williams is leading this Heisman probably and will probably win it. It's from USC, but Caleb Williams is also already a known commodity coming from Oklahoma, so it's a little bit different. Um, And USC is a little bit different. You know, it's as far as most of this country is concerned. There's there's USC and there's Oregon, and then who knows who knows what who else is out on this like like. I showed you the interaction I was having on Twitter last last night with a a guy out of Ohio, a Michigan State fan. He equated to UW to simply the place where they throw salmon. Like you know, that guy has no freaking idea about anything related to the city of Seattle and UW. So, and that's the most of, most of this country. And um, that guy gets to wake up tomorrow morning in Ohio, and that's yeah. <laughs> I'd rather saw off my own arm, and I'm being serious about that. <laughs> Might be a good fun live podcast stunt if uh, if we if we, get, if we get somewhere. Um, I, I'm but, being evicted to Ohio, and I just saw off my own arm live on on air. Yeah, for, for a podcast, your dad would be so so proud of you if he yeah. loved all that. Hey, uh, but it's, I get to stay in Seattle, so there you go. Well, we love you, Mike. Mike, we love you, Michael Stanton, and we love you, Michael Penix Jr. <laughs> um, we will give you all the recognition that you that you deserve for one of. I, at this point, I don't even think it's up for debate. He, he's having the best season in Husky football history for any quarterback. And if he yep. put if he puts a a wonderful bowl performance on top of that, um, especially if it's the type of bowl that we think it could be, then it's it's his. Like he is he is the guy, and that's what we're looking at here, which is just incredible. So let's move on to uh, our third topic of discussion here, which is quantifying the improvement from last year to this year. Officially played 12 games, um, and last year's team obviously only played 12 games because they did not make a bowl game. And so now you can compare some stats uh, full on from from season to season. And uh, I just want to remind folks, because we talked about Ryan Grubb getting that secret extension, and it reminded me when, do you remember when Jimmy Lake got his extension? It was like, oh, wow, he's going to be around for a while, and this is this is great. We're going to keep him yeah. here where we're, you know uh there's all this interest all that those rumors that alabama wanted him like that was like four years ago that's you know like it, things happen so fast with this stuff and it's just it's mind-boggling to think that, like now we're here with an offensive coordinator in a completely different regime and jimmy lake is essentially a pariah um and uh it's just it's it's a little mind to me but anyways I wanted to provide 10 stats to indicate how much this Husky offense has improved from this year to last year. You do not know these. I'm going to run through all 10 of these. Um, and it's just 2021 Sorry. versus 2022. Okay. Okay. First one touchdown scored. Okay. The Husky offense in 20, eh, how do I want to do this? I will say, yeah, in 2022, the Huskies offense has scored 60 touchdowns, five per game. How many do you think they scored in total in 2021? Total touchdowns. 35. 
Not bad, my friend. 32 always gets okay. the under when we're talking about the 2021 Husky offense. Yeah, yeah. So they've almost doubled the amount of touchdowns. Number two, receiving yards per game for Roma Dunze and Jalen McMillan. We've talked a lot about this season about how the talent hasn't really changed that much outside of Michael Penix. It, at, you know, around around the quarterback, it's basically all the same offensive line and and receivers. It's just uh, the system around them. Twenty twenty one, those two combined per game, which just sounds insane, averaged forty six point six yards. <laughs> this year, unreal. 92.5 yards, which still sounds a little low, oh. but they they are uh, more than double or basically double the amount of um, yards per game for those two, which is smart because they are very good and you want to get them the ball. Number three, this is available yards. This is a stat from bcftoys.com, a fun uh, college football <laughs> stats website. Sounds pretty kinky though, actually. CF Toys? <laughs> yes. I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, it's like Brian Fernow or something like he runs his own website. But anyways, available okay. yards. It's kind of self-explanatory. It's essentially like, you know, if you, if you, your drive starts at the 40 yard line, your own 40 yard line, you have 60 yards. If you get 60 yeah. yards, you score, you, you've attained 100% of the available yards in front of you. Yeah. 2021, the Husky offense, 41% of the available yards. That was good for 101st in the country this year. 70% of the available yards. That is good for first in the country. Available <laughs> yards. Congrats, Huskies. A hundred better. Uh, punts per game. This is stat number four. 2021, the Huskies averaged 4.4 punts per game. 71st in the country. 2022, 1.9 punts per per uh, per game. 130th in the country. How many teams are there in college football, Stan? Like 131. Exactly 100, something like that. Exactly 130. They are last in punts okay. per game, um, which is fantastic. And uh, I mean, last year it truly felt like Race Porter was like one of the shining beacons of the team. Like he, he we was talked like, about him. Like we were like, wow, he's on pace for like the longest average in in a punting average in in program history. And he, he was had a like great season. At, or it was no, it was like he was top ten all time, like yeah. in this, in the in college football history. He had season. a great season. It was incredible. It was fun. It was yeah. fun to talk about when we had nothing else to talk about. You know what beats the <laughs> shit out of talking about punting is not punting ever. Yes. Uh, so hell yeah to that. Stat number five, third down conversions. Huskies this year, first in the nation at 56.2% of uh, third down conversions, which is pretty incredible. Last year, 45.8%. They were 13th in the country last year in third down conversion rate, which makes you think. It could have been way worse last year if they yeah. had just uh, been a bad, you know, as bad as they were on every other down. Number six, sack percentage. The Huskies in 2021, um, does the sack percentage allowed? So like the the percentage of time that your quarterback gets sacked per dropback, uh, 5.2% last year, 32nd in the country. This year, 1.2%, uh, which is second in the country only to Oregon. So they are protecting Michael Penix very well, which is important because Michael Penix is fragile. You can't let them touch him, and they've done a great job of that. Number seven, rushing yards per play. Remember Jimmy Lake? He was the run the damn ball hat guy. Like, this is what he wanted to do, aggressive offense. His offense averaged 3.3 yards per carry, good for 109th in the country last year. This year, 4.5 yards per carry, 48th in the country. This one is incredibly nerdy. I'm sorry. Uh, number eight, this is offensive value drive rate. This is a, a stat from Football Outsiders that I don't quite understand, but I was looking at them because they have good <laughs> numbers. And uh, they described it as the percentage of offensive drives that conclude with a drive end value greater than the drive start value based on field position. I am not going to try to explain that anymore. So they overperformed on the drive than what was expected, maybe? Yes. Yeah, like I think it's like uh, maybe like your chance of winning is goes up because of a drive like at, from from 
before the drive to the to the end of the drive. Like I think yeah. I think that's kind of how to think of this. 2021, 32.2% of drives ended up with a better position. That was 91st in the country. 2022, 61.8. That is first in the country. Two more. They're both very similar. Uh 10 yard plays. This is from CFBstats.com. Last year, 134 10 yard plays, 10 or more yard plays, 115th in the country. 2022, 235 10 or more yard plays. Uh, plays that's a full hundred more 10 plus yard plays that is good for first in the country uh 10 yard or more passes 2021 104 that was good for second or uh, uh i think 100 sorry 112th um last year this year uh 182 good for first overall in the country so a lot of firsts seconds um and just very good for this husky offense this year which is one more time, incredible, because last year's offense and even the offense before in 2020 in the short season until they would decide at the end of the game to throw the ball was abysmal. It was pound into the center's ass over and over for, for an entire game <laughs> and expect different results. And now we have the greatest show on turf. And uh, I am so thankful. You know, what's crazy is like I say the only difference, but. I mean, I don't want to diminish it because it's a large difference, but the the only difference really to this offense is Wayne Talapapa and Michael Penix. Everybody else is pretty much a returning player. And I know Michael yeah. Penix is a huge difference, again, a huge difference than Dylan Morris, but it just goes to show you what uh, the change in both scheme, you know, between Jonathan or uh, uh, John Donovan and goes Ryan by Jonathan, Grubb, sometimes. Jonathan Donovan, uh, and Ryan Grubb, and then the difference between Dylan Morris and Michael Penix will do. Penix will do for you. Uh, it's truly amazing. I have nothing else to add to that. You encapsulated that perfectly in a quantifying way that I that I know and love. And um, I'll just leave it at that. We are officially an offensive value drive rate podcast. We're going to yes. bring that up. I, I, I still don't get it, but it showed my point, and that's all that matters. Yes, uh, and uh, I will continue to cherry pick stats that way. Love that. Big deep breath because that was a uh, that was a lot there. But uh, we're gonna we're gonna cover something because uh, this we were actually planning on talking about this before um, the college football playoff decided to bring up old shit and talk about the ASU loss, which again happened in October um, in this past week. That we were gonna revisit that game because this is a game that we never talked about because you and I uh, were uh, were occupied during that week. It happened. There was a lot going on in Seattle and our our personal lives. Uh, you were in Palm Springs just getting shellacked which was you know glorious and and yep. i was so proud of you i was emceeing my my brother's gala in uh, uh over in, in snoqualmie at the casino there and what else was going on oh yeah game two of the uh wild card series against the toronto blue jays so there was a lot happening that kind of like slid this one under the rug uh both for us and for husky fans we didn't podcast about it we didn't start podcasting again until after the arizona game so we never really got a chance to talk about it so how did this happen where the Huskies lose 45 to 38 uh, in the desert? Uh, where do you want to start with this game? Uh, well, I just want to first note that you had mentioned in the pod notes to like maybe rewatch some of the highlights and get an idea. And I didn't do that. Okay. I was not going to subject myself to God that. I, I should have not done that either. I am feeling too good about my, uh, <laughs> the, these Huskies right now. So I, yeah, I, I actually have a note saying, I'm sorry, I'm not subjecting myself to the highlights of that game. Damn. Um, so it's not, but, that, was a, that was a trap and, and, uh, <laughs> you, you, you survive. So you might, you, you might have to carry us a little bit here simply out of my 
you know, commitment to positivity, but I will <laughs> say a few, a few things off the top that just looking at the box score and just kind of remembering that game as it was, um, there was a really fluky pick six play where Penix threw it off of one of our linemen's helmets and it dropped right to, I think a linebacker or a corner that was just in the flat wide open, took it into the house for a touchdown. We were one for four on fourth down in that game mm -hmm. uh, and included a Dan Lenning special of us being stopped on our own 32 Arizona because State. the play before that it was third and five. Uh, Michael Penix hits, weird hits, hits Wayne Telepalpa in the flat. Going to be about and he 20, tripped. 20 yard gain trips two yards yes. short of the, of the, of the line to gain. Then yeah. there's the Dan Lenning special. The next play. We afterwards. looked frazzled on that four yeah. too, if I'm remembering, remembering it correctly, but uh, ASU ended up scoring a touchdown on that, on that very short ensuing drive. So those are, those are two That's a 14 point swing right there. Um, I mean, maybe even That's more it. if we score touchdowns on, <laughs> yeah. on those drives, but um, that is the difference in the game. Uh, and then lastly, my only other point is we had a lot of injuries during this game. We were playing a lot of guys that probably should have never seen the field um, or just, you know, young dudes that, that, uh, you know, Tristan Dunn's of the world that are true freshmen and, and talented, but like guys that you shouldn't have to depend on to play uh, huge chunks of minutes in a conference game. So um, those all, it was kind of a perfect storm. That being said, we didn't go out there and do our job to win the game. So like the only, even though I'm bringing up a lot of things that are like, well, like this could have happened, just like it's fluky, blah, blah, blah. At the end of the day, it's on us. So yeah. it's unfortunate because right now, if you win that game, which we we very much, you know, we were the better team, obviously, uh, overall in that one, uh, we'd be in the Pac-12 title game, you know, maybe maybe we would be looking at a potential um, playoff bid still at this point. It would be tough, but we would be a, a fringe candidate, I think. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's too bad, but I'm certainly happy with where we are right now. So don't, don't get me wrong on that one. Uh, to, to add on all that ASU was nine of 13 on third down. Yep. Um, the Huskies threw a pick six. We, we covered earlier in the, the Oregon state game this year when Penix threw another pick six to Oregon state, how I think we uncovered that NFL teams that uh, have a pick six lose like 70% of the time. So yep. that's NFL. And that was over um, a, a, a 40 year sample. I think, you know, it's, it's hard to win games and where you have uh, pick six, the Huskies forced zero sacks and like defensively, that is their basically only key or only way to, to do anything is to, to, you know, get to the quarterback. They could not, it was also 90 degrees in Tempe. Um, 1 PM kickoff. At time, a 1 PM kickoff. Like it was, it was just one of, of those games and incredibly fluky. And like, you know, I, if, if, if the Huskies win that game and here we are this weekend talking about, you know, they're about to play USC in the, the Pac-12 title game shot of the playoff. Wouldn't it feel like, like incredibly weird, like almost like spookily weird that we're in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Like uncomfortable. And so I think like for this season end as it did 10 wins, like not to like sell everything short, but I'm like, that's fine. Like this, this is all okay that we ended up in this position but it is a little bit maddening that, that they lost that game. You, you know, I, I think it's fair to assume, and I hate doing this because it just like makes me want to rip, rip my heart out. But I think it's fair to assume if you win that game, you're 11 and one, the, the, the worst ranked one loss team is Ohio state at five. 
And then it goes Bama, Tennessee, Penn State, and Clemson, all 10 and two uh, from six through nine. So you would think that with one loss being against a 17th ranked nine and three UCLA, um, you would assume that we would be ranked sixth right now in the playoffs with an outside shot at potentially making it into the playoff. If USC lost this week, or if we were to beat USC in that scenario, we would obviously hop them. That would put us in fifth at worst in we'd theory, be, at least be psychotic Kansas state fans this weekend. If yes. Like, and yeah. if TCU lost to Kansas right. state, they'd have one loss. And then, you know, it, it kind of, it, it would be a coin flip. Um, we would certainly be in a new year six bowl, like no question um, regardless of the outcomes, but um, yeah, as, as an at large, but still, it's uh, it is what it is. We're in a good spot. Twelfth is amazing for the fact that you know we were four and eight last season and looked like we were dead in the water for many years to come, probably. Um, so I, you know, yeah. I'll take, I will certainly take it. This is totally fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's it's like um, you know, being in a five star hotel and they they forgot to bring napkins or something like that. Like this, yeah. this is trust me, it's okay. Uh, but they're also as, as we're talking about, like this game was so so shitty and fluky. Uh, it reminds me of in Chris Peterson's first year uh, as my senior year of college when uh, the Huskies lost that inexplicable game at Arizona where they decided to hand the ball off to Deontay Cooper, um, who is a story, a great story, the high school football coaching story at uh, um, God, where is he? He's locally here in yeah, Seattle, somewhere right? doing very well. Got his team into the playoffs two straight years. So love Deontay. Great story. But uh, they ran the ball to him and he fumbled instead of the Huskies taking a knee. They would have won that game. Oh, and it's just man. like. There's like sometimes in a first year, like you just kind of need to have the shitty loss to like yeah. to, to learn some lessons. And like that, if that was if that was what inspired the Oregon win and the Oregon State win and like all of that, then shit, all of that was worth it. So we're just going to go with yeah. that, that this was uh, all part of the plan and to trust the process there with Kalen DeBoer. He is the head coach at Highline High School. Highline, that's what it is. Yes, that's mm-hmm. uh, over in Burien, I believe. Yeah, uh, close to the airport. Uh, okay, last thing here, we're going to round through the Pac-12 because it was a fun week, um, both in terms of games and then also um, the goings-on from the coaching side of things with the conference. Uh, the Civil War, or the artist-slash-game formerly known as the Civil War, was very fun. Oregon State beats Oregon, but when you say it like that, it doesn't quite capture no. the supreme fuckery that led to that uh, <laughs> result where the, the, the Oregon State Beavers went 38-34. to 34. So let me just kind of explain what happened here. Oregon State gets absolutely screwed on some terrible spots at the end of the first yeah. half, leading to a 14-point swing where they, uh, I think, could have gone up, I think, 17-7 to seven, uh, had things gone their way at the first half, and they end up being down 14-10 to 10 at half. Oregon State's first three drives of the second half go interception, three and out, fumble, over a total of six plays and all of a sudden it's 31 to 10 Oregon and the game has completely changed. And then <laughs> Jonathan Smith and Oregon state turned Ben Goldbranson, the Oregon state quarterback into a middleman in the middle a was statue. between the center and the running back because they said no more passes at all. And they ended yes. up winning. There's uh, they there's some terrible special teams play from Oregon. there, uh, Dan Lanning special or two where uh, uh, they decide to go for it on fourth, fourth and short in their own territory, giving the Oregon state Beavers short field, which uh, lends perfectly into the running game. They weren't going to uh, have to do anything in, in, you know, down the field with their passing game. It's like perfect for them. And they just, they, they grind it out and Oregon state, man, like they, 
just just they're a two loss team, right? They're they're what ten or no, sorry, they're three loss team, nine and three. The uh, they had um their three losses are USC, UW, and and Utah. USC, that USC game, they had a lead up until USC's final drive in the fourth in that game, and Chance Nolan threw four interceptions in that game. Then they lose to Utah yeah. in a game where they outgained Utah and threw another four interceptions. Then they took UW to the wire in a game that they very easily could have won, and a few things happened differently. They win that game, and this is most important, the Beavers beat both teams who are about to play in the Mountain West Championship this weekend, Boise State and Fresno State. Incredible season for Oregon State. They they beat basically everyone that they're definitely better than and had a chance to beat uh, the other three teams that were on their schedule. And like that is that is like Jonathan Smith has that thing rolling, considering they yep. legitimately do not have a quarterback. Like they 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 opted to not use one, and they still yeah. beat Oregon. And uh, they're they're having the success that they're doing. Like uh, as as a uh, you know beef supporter, uh, beef fan, I would I would you know I think that they're clearly our second favorite team in the conference. Like what a hell of a story. Yeah. You mentioned that they didn't throw the ball for a lot of the second half. Uh, that exact, to give you specifics on that, it was the 834 mark of the third quarter was the last pass. <laughs> they said no threw, more. And it, and it was a fumble. They fumbled that reception. Uh, after that fumble, here's how each team's drives went. Oregon State. Touchdown, 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 touchdown. Oregon, field goal, field goal, fumble, turnover on downs, turnover on downs. On top of this, I know you kind of touched on it, but I just, I want to provide more detail here because it's so perfect. Uh, or they, so, God, this was a great game. <laughs> um, <laughs> they they proceeded to, Oregon proceeded to uh, give up a touchdown uh, after that fumble in a minute and 33 seconds, or after, sorry, after going up 34-17, they gave up a, a touchdown in a minute, 33 seconds. They didn't go three and out, and they botch a punt on their own one-yard line. So they give the ball back to Oregon State on the two-yard line. Oregon State punches it in again for a touchdown. It's now 34-31. Then Oregon has the ball. Dan Lanning special here, fourth and one from their own 29. They get stopped. Turnover on downs. Oregon State runs it four times with Deshaun Fenwick. They take the lead. The rest is history. And what's just so beautiful about this is Dan Lanning's fourth down decisions have not only cost him a playoff berth, but it's cost him a Pac-12 title game berth. Uh, both, you know, that happening in the Oregon State game and also in the uh, Washington game. So it's just great to see the Ducks crumble when it really mattered, um, kind of getting in their own way, shooting themselves in the foot. Um, like I said, at the beginning of this, is this podcast, it was just a great week as a Husky fan. Yeah. And I'll, I'll make a motion here and I don't know if I feel this way, but the apple cup, but obviously USC and UCLA, when those two teams play, they both wear their color jerseys yeah. and it looks, it looks great. Oregon, UW, both wearing colors. I thought excellent. They can do that anytime they want. Beavs also did that against Oregon, Oregon. And I think that that should be. This weird little Pac-12 thing, the Pac-10, whatever it's going to be, where that's what they do in a rivalry home game. Unis. Both teams wear their home uniforms. I think that 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 ends up making a very uh, aesthetically pleasing environment, and it just it, it signifies something special. And I, I'm down if they if they make that a thing. Yeah, I don't know. Is there any uh, rivalries that have conflicting like the same home colors? Like obviously hmm. UW WSU wouldn't be an issue, and I don't think a lot. But Z Zona. 
Yeah, Zona ASU. I mean, they could like Arizona just just couldn't wear their red. They just wear their their dark blue. Their blue. Yeah, yeah. their navy. I think yeah. that's fine. Uh, I like this. Stanford Cal. Yeah. Stanford Cal would work. Red and navy. Yeah, that'd be fun. Now, oh. do do uh, UCLA and USC still get like penalized a timeout for that, or are they give? Oh, it is, up? did you that know? used to happen? Yeah, it used to happen. Uh, whoever the home, the road team was wearing their home uniforms, I think would lose a timeout in each half or something like that. It was, it was. They definitely lost a timeout at some point, and I think they probably stopped that. But they would penalize the oh, the away team from wearing their home jersey. Just pop they would still do it, and that's probably because USC was beating UCLA at that point right. in time. But um, yeah, I, I think it's I think it's awesome. That is nonsense, and I love it. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I think that let's let's uh, let's let's send a DM to our boy uh, George Klyavkov. I'm sure he would appreciate any yeah. good ideas to help save the conference at this point. To some coaching, um, some more nonsense. Yeah, some more nonsense. Coaching carousel. Um, so the first one we'll talk about Arizona State. They hired their uh, their head coach, um, uh, who is Kenny Dillingham, who we have actually talked about um, as the uh, as the the likely replacement for Herm Edwards for a while now. Dillingham has been excellent as the offensive coordinator at Oregon. Um, he was, I think, I don't know if he, I don't know if he played at Arizona State, but he's definitely from Arizona and went to Arizona State, and uh, he took took that job and uh i think he's gonna be you know basically like a, a wonder child is like the, what the hope is there he's 32 years old he's extremely young um this is the exact this is the total like you date the opposite of your ex-partner situation they had old ass uh herm edwards and went yeah. the exact opposite in terms of like a radical change young new guard versus like old ceo uh old guard and that's going to be an interesting thing. And um, I don't know. I, I think that this is, this is fine for Arizona state. Clearly they needed someone who gets ASU and who wants that program to succeed, because I don't necessarily know if that was uh, Herm Edwards is like sole priority other than just like collecting paychecks and staying in football. Yeah. It's, it's kind of jarring to hear um, a 32 year old being a head coach, given that we are just a mere couple years behind that, a few years behind that. Um, that being said, he's had great success this season at Oregon. Um, he's their OC and QB coach. He previously was an offensive analyst at Arizona State, and he went to Arizona State uh, and and played there, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, yeah, this is this makes a lot of sense for those reasons. He's from the Phoenix area, um, so yeah, it, I I think you got to be happy as a ASU fan especially because the whole Herm Edwards situation was just such a circus for so you know for the basically the entire time he was there um so uh, yeah I, I would be excited about this it's a bit risky you know the guy's never been a head coach before but he's been an offensive coordinator at a lot of big programs including Auburn Florida State Oregon unfortunately we'll, we'll have to say it but Oregon um, so I, I think he probably has the experience to make the step up. Yeah. I think from an offensive, uh, like philosophy standpoint, he's, you know, the, the classic, you know, young, 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 young pup entering the situation. Like he gets modern offensive football and like how teams can be successful that way. I think he's going to have to hire some adults, like who really understand how to run a program and help him out in that regard, because doing that at 32 seems basically impossible because no one's done it before. 
to Boulder. I we go. I have one other. I just want to correct myself. This is this is pretty interesting. Actually, I'm reading his Wikipedia page. He he went to Arizona State, but he actually didn't play football there. He tore his ACL as a 17 year old high school student during his senior year of high school. So he started working with the JV team at his high school, um, and he got and he he ended up coaching at his high school while he attended Arizona oh. State as a student. Oh, so he okay. wasn't even associated to the program, the football program at ASU, while he was there, um, which is very unique. You normally these coaches have you know playing experience in college, but that is not the case. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's, that's very spicy. He was uh, an ambitious kid. So in terms of years coached, he's actually what, that'd be like 13 years of coaching. So, I mean, that's, yeah. that's not bad. Okay. Uh, well, Kenny, you're not so young anymore. It turns out <laughs> to, to Boulder. If you thought that it couldn't get any weirder than hiring a 32 year old as your head coach, welcome Dion Sanders. Now this has not happened <laughs> yet, uh, but uh, it has been, been proven or Dion Sanders said it that Colorado offered him the job. Now, Deion Sanders has been the coach at Jackson State for the past couple of years. He's doing very well. That that program is running. Um, or they're winning a lot of games. I don't really know what else to say about that program. That they're recruiting well. And uh, Deion Sanders would bring a level of attention and excitement around the Colorado program that hasn't existed. I don't know if it ever has existed. Um, <laughs> it has in the Big Twelve. Let's yeah, give I mean, they, they, the they won a national championship. Like that, you know, they they were they've been great at times, but like this is yeah, this is different. Not recently, um, uh, there's another report that Deion Sanders is uh, has three hats on the table, and he's down to Colorado, Cincinnati, and USF for the jobs <laughs> that he's going to take. Um, I don't know what's happening there. There's also a rumor uh, that they've offered Ryan Walters, who is the former uh, former star safety at Colorado and is now the defensive coordinator at Illinois. And Illinois' defense is kicking everyone's ass this year. So um, that is certainly like seemingly a lot safer of a of a higher than 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 Dion, uh, but certainly not as flashy either. So uh, we'll see. It's uh, it's going to be one former defensive back, whether it's the Hall of Famer or the uh, pretty good safety at Colorado that uh, takes the job. But those are probably two guys, Deion Sanders or Ryan Walters. Yeah, uh, I just saw a headline pro football uh, talk saying that Dion will choose which with school he'll be coaching by this Saturday. So it's like a it's like a freaking recruiting process. He's 26 and five at Jackson State since the 2020 season when he when he started as head coach, which is you know, pretty solid. Uh, they won the, or they finished first in the Southwestern Athletic Conference the last two seasons. They're actually 11 and 0 this season, but they aren't in the FCS playoffs because uh, when you go to the Celebration Bowl, which is mm. the bowl that's held for uh, HBCUs, um, you give up your ability to to play in the FCS playoffs. So if not for that, you would be seeing them at least i think the first round happened last weekend but you would probably be seeing jackson state playing in that um so yeah he's he's been he's been solid for them um but i obviously it would be pretty pretty interesting to have him as a coach in the pac-12 it would be fascinating um yes as, as, uh, even more fascinating than the herm edwards experience because for sure dion doesn't have the coaching history that that herm did um yeah. it it would be exactly kind of what that program needs from an attention yeah. standpoint is it what they need from uh, a long-term sustainability standpoint and this is what we talked about last week is like what's the best case scenario for colorado there okay Deion sanders uh, takes the job does well gets him to 10 wins within the first three years he is getting the hell out of colorado 
he is going to coach the NFL. He's going to, um, you know, coach at Florida state, his alma mater, anything, but Colorado like the, but so that's why I think going the the Walters route is uh, a different, different option. And they might say like, Hey, Ryan Walters could always take that job at Colorado where it's all water. That's not going to change, but we have this opportunity to, uh, uh, do some some CPR on the program with with hiring Dion. So um, fascinating. I hope they do it just from the public interest standpoint. I have no idea what it's what it's going to be good if it's that's what's best for Colorado. Uh, but uh, Stanford, another this was this the surprising Colorado had already fired their coach. Uh, yeah, same with um, with ASU a long time ago. But David Shaw, um, basically after the end of the season, after they lost to BYU in the weirdest game ever. Um, they, he said enough, he has resigned Chris Peterson style, um, after two, I think three win seasons back to back in the past two seasons for Stanford, where does Stanford go from here? I've, I've the only candidate that, that I've actually like heard anyone talk about uh, at length is a guy we know pretty well. And that's Chris Peterson. I'm sure that there's, uh, guys who haven't officially retired from coaching who, uh, might be on the table too. Yeah. Peterson's name was initially floating around. I've, I've read more recently that he's not interested you know who knows um i would be shocked and also a little annoyed if he took the job to be honest with you um but yeah i'm not thinking that that's going to happen the other names i've seen listed on various articles are uh greg roman the current oc for the baltimore ravens who's on uh jim harbaugh's staff at stanford from 2009 to 2010 as their tight end and o-line coach um, there's also Jim Leonard. He's current and, intern and with the uh, the San Francisco 49ers. He was the offensive coordinator when Colin oh. Kaepernick was in, in his heyday as well. Okay, fair point, fair point. Um, Jim Leonard, current interim head coach at Wisconsin until Luke Fickle takes that over beginning next season. Although I've actually read that Luke Fickle is going to coach a position like group at the, during their bowl game, which is kind of interesting. Like he's going to slot in at like during offensive Wisconsin's line. Bowl game? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I read the, earlier this week. Very that's odd. That's messy. Yeah. Yeah. But um, anyways, Jim Leonard will not be in a job most likely at, given that transition. So um, he's a potential Pep Hamilton, current Houston Texans offensive coordinator. He was the OC QB coach and wide receiver coach at Stanford from 09 through 010 under Harbaugh. And then there's names like Brian Harson, formerly of Auburn and Boise State, Dave Clawson, currently at Wake Forest, Bronco Mendenhall, formerly of BYU in Virginia, and then Troy Taylor, currently at Sacramento State as their head coach, former Eastern Washington head coach, and Folsom High School head coach, who's actually Jake Browning's high school head coach. So those are all the those are mostly the names I've seen. Um Stanford's a weird job. There's it's just like there's such a high standard and there's some, there's just more complexity given the academic uh, rigor and um, standards that you have to uh, meet as a recruit. So it's just, it's just an interesting job. They could hire someone out of nowhere that I've never heard and it wouldn't surprise me. Um, So I'm not really wasting too much time to to speculate here. I'm just going to wait and see who they actually hire. They could also disband their football team. And like, I, I, (laughs) yeah. Anything is possible uh, with Stanford. Yes. I, I, it, it, like you said, it's such a weird job. Um, Jim Harbaugh's success there at the level that he achieved was kind of like an absolute anomaly. Like Ty Willingham, actually, believe it or not, did take them to pretty good levels, but that was like yeah. a plat. That was like a they got there and then immediately went back down. Uh, and then Harbaugh 
took them to a sustained level of success that Shaw was able to, to ride for a long time. And now they are in the crater. And I, I you know, we've, we make a lot of jokes about uh, uh, Tanner McKee and this offense and the slow mesh. And like, they were kind of just spinning their wheels, I think for the last couple of years and weren't able to, they weren't, they just, they completely lost touch with the like bone crushing Stanford engine that they became yeah. under Elephant Harbaugh jumbo package. Yeah. yeah. Under Harbaugh and early Shaw. And I think, uh, you know, he had kind of lost his way and wasn't able to, to get back to the program that he felt comfortable with. And like, Hey, I totally get it. If it's, yeah, I, I, apparently he has a kid that's about to be in college football next year. You know, uh, life is, life is important. And like, you know, yeah. that's, that's uh, important for somebody to get out when, you know, when they don't feel, comfortable anymore i don't it didn't seem like it was like a stanford you know force out type situation i think no. it was truly like him taking them by surprise and where they go from here is is like i don't i don't know because anybody's I, guess i think they need energy though like if it's somebody who just doesn't know college football or like doesn't have um you know kind of the uh the uh the you know gusto for the position yeah i i i feel like that that program could die on the vine and uh that would, that would be sad because stanford you know when they're rolling was was a, an important college football fixture for for a little bit there yeah yeah i mean they had you know some some greats in john elway jim plunkett um andrew luck as well there's been a there's been a decent amount you know Christian McCaffrey, Toby Gerhardt, etc. Yeah. So there's been a lot of great players that have come out of that. I I mean we say I don't think they will disband. Um, let's be clear here. Yeah. But uh, I certainly think they they need someone with a little bit more charisma and energy than David Shaw. David Shaw was just so boring to me and so smug and annoying. Um, I I think David Shaw as a person. Uh, has an immense level of integrity and is a, is a good person. I just found him to be annoying as an opposing fan. Um, but, you know, good for him for seemingly taking the reins on his life and saying, you know what, I'm, I've run this course and I'm going to go spend more time with family. I've made my money. You know, I can kind of ride off into the sunset and enjoy the rest of my life. Um, so similar to, like we said, similar to what Peterson did. I think that's awesome. You know, kind of what like Andrew Luck did that too. Yeah. Um, I think, I think it's a great strategy. Um, you know, there's a lot more to life than football. So I I'm very supportive of this and good for him. We have uh somewhat breaking news here. Let me just uh, tweet from Pete Thamel that just came across the radar that the Rose bowl has signed whatever agreement that they need to with the college football playoff so that uh, the playoff expansion will officially take place in 2024. Uh, the holdout was that the Rose Bowl was uh, a little bit uh, miffed that they weren't going to be a part of the regular rotation and that that mm. for the, I think the final four games in the college football playoff and they wanted to maintain that. Uh, but uh, they have decided to play the reindeer games and stay in the college football playoff ecosystem, which mm. it, it's, it's, it's fine. It's just another shred of one of those like traditions in college football. That's just, yeah being bastardized over and over yeah. and like that we've yeah. this has been a theme of this year as we talked um uh, in our first podcast and we talked with with uh jordan coots in the oregon state week of just like we're gonna start losing all these things one by one yeah yeah i mean even this year the Rose bowl is not part of the playoff and it's not being played on the first either because the first falls on a sunday and they don't play against the nfl so ah, yes yeah so that's kind of disappointing too it is what it is but um if it were up to me, to no surprise, the Rose Bowl would be 
January 1st every year against the Pac-12 and Big Ten winner. Mm-hmm. But I'm also a old man. <laughs> uh, and uh, we're going to be even older as we await the results of the game on Friday yes. nights um, where USC plays Utah. And this is a big one for the Huskies and for the conference. This is USC swan song in the conference. This is their last Pac-12 game uh, that they'll be playing. They're uh, moving on to the Big Ten next year. I'm right about that, right? It's next no. year. No, 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 no. One more year? Yeah, you're totally off. Okay, totally off. Well, I wish yeah. it was their swan song. I want them to go away. <laughs> uh, but anyways, USC plays Utah. Just lost all credibility now right into the yeah. podcast here. But <laughs> USC plays Utah is a rematch. Utah handled their rematch pretty well last year when they boat raced Oregon two times in the, uh, the Pac-12 season, hoping to do that again. Utah won 43-42 to on a two-point conversion of the, the first matchup in Rice-Eccles Stadium. That was an incredibly emotional game with Utah wearing the faces of two fallen teammates on their helmets in a game that USC kind of controlled until the very end. So I don't really know who has the upper hand in this game. Caleb Williams seems to have reached new heights with his game. Um, It's a very tight, tight spread. Lots of advanced stats actually like Utah to come out on top, despite kind of the narrative going to USC heading into the game. Um, I think the health of Cam Rising and the health of Dalton Kincaid, who absolutely shredded USC last time, is uh, is very important here because um, those two guys, that's that's the offense. And if they don't have either of them at full strength, then uh, keeping up with USC seems to be a tall order. Yeah, we've, we've talked about Dalton Kincaid in previous episodes. Um, this is after their main guy, Brent, I think his name, Brent Keithy, went down an injury at tight end earlier this season, but they're also going to be missing their, their starting running back and Tavion Thomas, who declared for the NFL draft ah, prior yes. to the game this past weekend against Colorado. Um, he has a toe injury. I don't know how bad it is. So I don't know if it would have kept him out of this upcoming game or a potential bowl. I mean, or, or their bowl game, but he will not be in there. So that's a guy who's accumulated nearly 700 yards on the ground and seven touchdowns this season. So um, they'll be leaning on the likes of uh, probably Micah Bernard, who's a sophomore. He's accumulated, I think, 386 yards and three touchdowns on the season. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll see what happens. But it certainly isn't great to lose your starting running back uh, prior to a Pac-12 title game. I think, I mean, it's it's such a close, you know, on paper, it's such a close game. I, I'd like to think USC will win um, for obvious reasons, but um, anything can happen in that in that Levi Stadium down there in Santa Clara. Yep. Or whatever uh, it's called now. It might not be even Levi's anymore. Well, isn't it in Vegas too? Oh, you're right. So there's <laughs> there goes my credibility now. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We we were we were doing just fine. If you made it this far and could laugh with us for that, uh just just know it's it's at least for me, it's pretty late on uh on Wednesday night. You've you, you know, uh, East Coast stand yeah. less less excuse here. Yeah, uh, I don't have any excuse. So uh, tell me like I'm five, but, but I and we, we we talked about this beginning. We just don't know what to say here. Obviously we want USC to win the being able to say it's a guarantee that if USC wins, the USC is Utah or sorry, UW is going to the Rose bowl. Um, we're just going to have to wait on that one, which is unfortunate, yeah. but Utah winning would eliminate UW from Rose bowl contention. We do know that. Yeah. And, and justifiably. So, I mean, they would be the champion of the conference and, and they wouldn't be good enough to make the playoffs. So they should go to the Rose bowl. Um, if USC wins, they're going to go to the playoff. Then we have this vacant space at the Rose Bowl. 
Um, and you would think a fourth Utah loss would allow the 10 and two Huskies to go to the Rose Bowl. Um, again, we have no idea what the committee is thinking, but I would be shocked if that, if they didn't choose the Huskies in that scenario over the Utes. And there are so, reportedly other factors that uh, weigh into the decision of what teams to select for that, including how recently a team has been to the Rose Bowl, um, which, yep, which is Utah last year. And who else? Who did Utah play Ohio last State year? Last year, Ohio State last year, and allegedly, yeah. you Ohio State did not sell out their ticket allotment last year, which frustrated the Rose Bowl um, and has people thinking that they could That's such uh, an Ohio State thing. To do. God. <laughs> yeah, totally. They're, That's annoying. They're they're afraid of the uh, the liberal cities on the West Coast. Well, um, they're just so used to going to these games that they just are like, ah, whatever. Yeah, Whereas, they, like, any chance to go to Rose Bowl to the Huskies, I'm like all right, I will ruin everything in my life currently in order to make that happen. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and exactly. And so that's that. what has people thinking that Penn State could get the invite. And if it is the University of Washington versus Penn State in the Rose Bowl, I think that is a stellar matchup because Penn State, unlike Ohio State, is not full of guys who are probably more concerned about their draft status than uh, the game that's in front of them nothing against those guys. They have, you know, that's, that's their thing, but that's just, you know, it makes for a better and more entertaining product. And uh, I think a full strength, like giving a fuck Penn state versus a full strength, giving a fuck Washington is like, that's a game I really want to watch. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I, you know, you know, you know, Ohio state, even if it's not CJ Stroud at Ohio state, her quarterback for Ohio state um, is probably pretty spicy too, because I'm sure that guy has some steam, but um, that backup quarterback, I mean, but, I, the, the Penn State matchup, I think, would be would be kind of the yeah. perfect bowl game for the Huskies to play in. Sean, Sean Clifford, the uh, the the veteran quarterback against another veteran quarterback and Michael Penix. Um, Let's see, when when Michael Penix had his like big breakout game against Indiana Penn State, year, did he beat Sean Clifford? Oh, I'm sure, unless Clifford was hurt. Um, while while you look that up, I will let you know that. Uh, and I. I I don't. I this might jinx it by some people's standards, but I don't necessarily believe in this. I actually have, um, airfare booked to Pasadena right now, Bingo. both directions. Uh, yes, refundable though. So, <laughs> Michael Penix Jr. did not have a very good game. He went nineteen of thirty six for buck seventy, but he came out on top against Penn State in twenty twenty. Um, that was the first game of the season for both teams, and that was actually the first game that Kalen DeBoer wasn't the offensive coordinator at Indiana. Oh wow. Um, they opened yeah. the season with a that was the game? that was the COVID year you know kind of skipped the oh yeah yeah fair yeah. fair yeah. yeah so that was interesting that would that would be uh Penix Clifford two old foes <laughs> yeah. back again <laughs> yeah I've been doing this dance for years yeah. um yeah so I, I I'm I'm intrigued but obviously uh, the, the stuff's got to happen uh, yeah. on Friday night yeah will we get we'll any watching. resolution until Tuesday when the the playoff rankings come out or when, when will bowls be? Selected? I think Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday, Sunday morning, morning is the final. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So we'll well, we, we will await that. And I think yep. that's enough of our regular scheduled programming here. And we'll move into the very last portion of today's episode, which I think is going pretty long, but like you said, great weekend Husky football, lots to talk about. Yeah. Yep. You already talked about your great cat. Do you have any other? No. Gripes. To it was, share? it okay. was the logo thing in at WSU and the committee rankings. I have two. One, you talked about how old you feel with Kenny Dillingham at 32 getting the head coaching job at Arizona State. Uh, I feel pretty old when I see the three names being in college football the last few years. Marvin Harrison Jr., Frank Gore Jr., 
Mushin, aka Moose Muhammad for Texas A&M. These are guys that were on my fantasy teams when I was a kid and now are destroying college football. And Joey it's like, Porter Jr. Joey Porter Jr. for Penn State. Yes. You just declared for the draft today. There you go. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's quite odd. Um, and I don't I think it's just like a college, like a sports thing, too, because I know it's happening a lot in baseball where you have these juniors and these legacy kids. Yeah, um, it's kind of fun, actually, but it for sure still make me feel quite old. Yeah. Second great cat goes to targeting. Uh, Michael, what would you say the point of targeting is? What, what's it supposed to prevent? Probably to protect players heads. <laughs> Maybe like prevent concussions, like yeah, okay, yeah. So yeah. that didn't happen because Jack Westover on uh, on uh, Saturday suffered a concussion from a helmet to helmet hit, very forcible contact yeah. to the head uh, from the Washington State uh, defensive player. I don't know who uh, that player was. That play was not called targeting or reviewed at all, um, and it's just like, god damn! Like there's so much stupid stuff that's like with, you could with, tell like live. Yes. And the first cue that it could have, that should have been, uh, you have to review for targeting is that Jack Westover looked like he had signs of concussion. He was <laughs> instantly. And he, he yeah. was slow to get up, uh, a, you know, head to head contact. And if you're not going to review that, like, what is the point? What do you, what do you, yeah. this is, this is so stupid. Um, so get well soon, Jack Westover, most importantly here, but mm-hmm. yeah. uh, figure your shit out. Uh, officials because if you want to at least pretend to care about this like that's the one you have to call is is the one where the guy actually gets concussed on it um you have a full booth up there looking at every play like you have people to help you i just don't understand how that was missed yeah uh, it's 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 maddening uh happier stuff okay geez who do you have for uh yeah you mentioned it at the top but roma dunes aj and mcmillan Becoming the first receiving duo in program history to have a thousand yards receiving each in the same season. So that's pretty cool. Um, I, I like, I was thinking to myself, like I was thinking about this earlier and it's like, eh, maybe like a Charles Frederick, Reggie Williams might've done that early on in the two thousands, but no, this is the first time ever. It's pretty, pretty amazing. I thought Ross and Pettis did it, um, but I was wrong on that, that Ross had a thousand and Pettis didn't have his thousand yard season until the next uh, year after that, I think. Um, and I actually don't even know if he ended up topping a thousand. It's a big deal. Like college football topping a thousand yards um, as a receiver doesn't happen as often as you might think it does. And uh, so, you know, props to those guys. They have been incredible and yeah. so fun to watch. And like, God, they. I remember seeing last year after after McMillan had the game winning touchdown against Stanford that um, he and and Rome also they both had chances to be some of the best receivers in UW history. Whether this was you know their careers are nearing conclusion or they have one more year in them, I think that they're already there. Like they are they are some of the most fun um, and talented guys that we've got to watch play that position, and uh, it's been a treat. And this offense you know, goes because of them in a lot of sure. ways. And so I kind of knew you were going to do that. And so I have two other guys, Jalen Polk and Giles Jackson. Those two guys have been playing much smaller roles at receiver all year, but they have been huge. Jalen Polk, huge catch uh, for the touchdown. He had another deep ball that he caught. Giles Jackson had a, a key third down that he caught on the sideline. Um, it's just kind of a, been a bit player all season. Some games where he's extra involved, some games where you don't see him at all. But uh, I think two guys that have shown that I think if they got a bigger role next year, that they could probably do um, some real damage with that role. And, uh, you know, it's not not easy. And Taj Davis, too. Like, these are these are good players that just, you know, they're yeah. just not one and two, and therefore your role is different. But, um, you know, we've been we've been blessed with them, with all those five receivers this year. Mm-hmm. That's it. 
that's all I got. That's that's the the two hour Odyssey podcast uh, to to end this one out. <laughs> uh, it's been a fun one, and we will certainly podcast next week once we find out what bowl we're going to, and then we'll figure out what the cadence is depending on how much time we have between uh, the 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 Huskies next game. And you know we're probably not going to do every single week from here on out, but uh, you'll be hearing us from at least probably a couple times, I would imagine, before um, the yeah. uh, the game. And I hope that the bowl game that we're going to is uh fragrant. flower flower themed and, and yes. fragrant and, and yeah. red uh ideally. yeah and warm yeah Watch, we'll, we'll have said that and someone will be like mm, they're definitely talking about the cheese bowl there yeah the red. sun bowl in el paso texas yeah, actually that's, that's usually it. pretty cold <laughs> yeah yeah okay man well um hey i i'm i'm stumbling for words but can you think of any any two that you'd like to, to i yeah I, I think i can um okay. it is Go dogs. Ah, perfect. All right, everybody. Uh, enjoy your weekends. Go Trojans. And uh, we'll yeah. talk to you next week.